Well, we're a couple of months out, and I've got to put the question to you. What do you want for Christmas? It's about that time to start thinking about that, right? At least it is for me, because if I wait until the last minute, I'm going to be doomed. What do you want for Christmas? I ask the question not only because it's uh, about that time to start thinking about it, but um, also because I have been very interested uh, for many years in understanding the heart. I was a biology major in college, and um, I was uh, headed toward medical school uh, with thoughts of being a doctor. And I was very fascinated by the heart. And I remember sitting in one of my biology classes and, and hearing the professor talk about all of the changes that take place in the moment when a newborn baby takes her first breath. There's this little door called the foramen ovale that closes and sends into motion all of these dynamics so that that little girl can begin breathing on her own as the blood flow flows through her heart, and her heart takes on the responsibility of carrying the load from that point forward. I remember uh, uh, having the chance to, 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 to watch operations in the operating room. I remember um, uh, seeing a procedure on a, on a tiny little baby about this big, having, having a heart procedure, and uh, subsequently had the chance to, to, to see uh, open-heart transplants. And so I've always been very fascinated from uh, the beginning in learning about the human heart. But then I became a Christian as a sophomore in college. And um, those ambitions began to wither and new ambitions began to flourish as I sensed God calling me into the worship, into the ministry. And uh, many years later, I, I, I became a pastor and Ever since, I've been focusing not so much on the physical heart that beats, but the heart that wants, the heart that fears, the heart that believes, motivations of the heart. What makes a person go? Tonight, we're going to focus on one man's motivation. This is what I want. So tonight, that's the question before us. What do you really want? Whether it's for Christmas or even tonight, what do you really want? And we meet a man who says to us, as he says to Jesus, I want you to make me clean. Before we look at the text, let me give you a little bit of orientation. First of all, historically, Israel ruled by a succession of foreign leaders. God's promise to restore the Davidic kingdom remained unfulfilled. When would God act to restore His kingdom through Israel? Hopes for the Messiah began to grow. Their longing for a king challenges us to consider our longing. Do we really want a king who comes to make us clean? That's the historical context. Literarily, the text is situated early in Mark's gospel. We've heard the voice from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased, the father says of his son at the baptism. There's a test in the wilderness. 
There's a word from the Son. Verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. There's a flurry of kingdom activity, overthrowing demons, healing the sick, praying for power, preaching the word, as if to say, Mark saying to us, this is what the kingdom of God looks like when the king comes. This is the good news. A new king has come, the Son of God, in contrast to all of the would-be leaders that you were expecting. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to Him from every quarter. This is God's Word. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank You that You've given us a window, a portal into the past, where our living Lord Jesus walked and talked and touched Lord Jesus, you yourself said that it is not to our disadvantage, but it is to our strong advantage that you would leave, that you would return to the Father, that you would receive the fullness of the Spirit and pour Him out, that you would come again, you would not leave us as orphans, but that you would send the Comforter, another Advocate, to continue what You began to do and teach. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that You would open the eyes of our hearts and You would make it soft and receptive and that You would plant Your Word, that it would take deep root and grow sweet fruit as we trust in You. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Three questions for tonight as we unpack the text. First of all, who needs cleansing? Secondly, who brings cleansing? And thirdly, how comes cleansing? Let's consider these in turn. First of all, who needs cleansing? Verse 40. A man with two features. First of all, he suffers a living death. Verse 40, a man with leprosy. The term was used to refer to a variety of 
skin diseases, and that day it was a condition that consigned the person to a living death. Not only suffering the ravages of the disease itself, but also regarded ceremonially unclean and unfit for society, and so separated from his family and excluded from his community. Leviticus chapter 13 regulates the problem. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out as if to billboard and placard in front of him to everyone around him, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. So it's not only a description of the problem, but it's, it's like a sentence hanging over his head. And the book of Leviticus bends over backwards to draw a distinction between the clean on the one hand and the unclean. And why all the fuss? Because God is teaching His people some foundational lessons. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. It's an object lesson. By His very nature, God is altogether holy and pure, and by His gracious design, God made us for a relationship with Him. As originally created, humanity was made morally clean before God, fellowship. But as a result of humanity's fall into sin, each of us has become morally contaminated and unclean before God, broken fellowship. So that begs the question, how can a holy God dwell among His unholy, unclean people? Not until, as Pastor Adrian so wonderfully articulated, not until His people are cleansed, not until their guilt and their shame are washed away. The Bible is God's story of how He'll do just that. And this distinction between the clean and the unclean is not merely a hygienic or ceremonial distinction, but it's a moral and ethical distinction. And this man points to every man here tonight, every woman, every child. His physical condition is a signpost to my spiritual condition and your spiritual condition. This text is about you and me and what God is determined to do about our problem. What is this dirtiness that we sometimes feel? It's that contamination that is very, very real. Sometimes we're the agent of sin. We've done something to another. Sometimes we're the recipient of being sinned against. Something is done to us. In both cases, whether done by us or done to us, sin brings stain, guilt, 
and shame. But this text calls us to take heart because God sees your problem. God speaks very personally and tenderly to your problem. And when God speaks to it, you can be absolutely sure that He's going to act and do something to resolve it. That's first of all, He suffers a living death. Secondly, this man reflects a living faith, at least the beginnings of such. Verse 40, the second half, this man came to Jesus imploring Him and kneeling said to Him, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice the three elements. First of all, he knows of Jesus. This man can make me clean. He knows the categories of the clean and of the unclean. He knows the direction. He knows that when the unclean comes into contact with the clean, the unclean always contaminates the clean. But it would seem as though he knows something of a third category. It's the category of the holy that God begins to reveal in the Old Testament. When the holy comes into contact with the unclean, the unclean does not contaminate the holy. Rather, the holy swallows up the unclean and makes all things new. And he sees something of that. He can make me clean because he is in a different category. So he knows of Jesus. Secondly, he runs to Jesus. Desperation, determination, no obstacle prevents him from coming. Do you see living faith on display in this man? He will not sit, he will not sulk in self pity. He risks everything breaking all of the religious rules and customs that say, keep your distance. And with living, desperate, determined faith, he runs to Jesus. Thirdly, he pleads with Jesus. He talks to Jesus. I know that you can make me clean. But are you willing to make me clean. Would you please, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I love passages like this. This is one of the heroes of living faith. At the heart of biblical change, as one of my professors used to put it, a person who has listened, opens his heart to the person who has spoken. A person who has listened to God's revelation in Scripture, all of His promises, a person who has listened, opens his heart to the person who has spoken. And that's exactly what he's doing. This relational conversation is at the very core of the dynamics of biblical change. It's a heart-to-heart -heart relationship. I see you. I need you. You will help me. 
And so I come to you, and I ask of you. He's a hero of faith, so watch him closely. Learn from how he knows of Jesus, runs to Jesus, talks to Jesus, and now let's do the same. Who needs cleansing? We all do. Secondly, who brings cleansing? Verses 41 and 42, the king with three features. Notice, first of all, see his heart. He's moved with pity. It is the most frequent expression of the emotional life of our Lord Jesus. When He sees you in trouble, His heart is moved with compassion. He's not aloof. He's not distracted. He sees and He feels compassion for you. He's moved by your plight. He feels deeply about your trouble. Whether it's something you've done or whether it's something done to you, whether it's your sin or whether it's your suffering, He sees and He's moved with compassion. Thirdly, notice how shocking this is. To touch a leper was to become unclean, Leviticus chapter 5, verse 3. Even an accidental touching rendered one unclean, but a deliberate, voluntary touching was absolutely unthinkable. But look at his hand. He stretched out his hand and he touched the man. Why does he reach out and touch? Why does he not simply speak? He's certainly spoken in other contexts. The meaning of his touch is explained by the word that he speaks. His touch means, I am willing. I'm the willing king. I have the fervency to make you clean. And secondly, his touch means, I'm the mighty king. I have the authority on earth to make you clean. Be clean with a tailored, personal touch. J.R. Tolkien, in The Return of the King, speaks of the houses of healing. Do you remember the backdrop, the battle of Minas Tirith, the great city of Gondor, and Faramir, and Eowyn, and Mary wounded in the battle? And they're taken to Gondor's healers, but it's so serious because they lay there dying. And Eorith, the woman serving in the house, looking on the face of Faramir, weeping for the people, loved him, says, alas, if he should die, would that there be kings in Condor, as there were once upon a time, they say. For it is said in old lore, the hands of the king are the hands 
of the healer. And so the rightful king could be ever known by the hands. Gandalf, the wizard, says it is only in the coming of Aragorn that any hope remains for the sick that lie in the house. And he comes. Aragorn comes, the long-anticipated king. He returns from the battle. He comes to the houses of healing. He brings his healing touch to Faramir, to Eowyn, to Mary. And remember to Eowyn, he says, Awake, Eowyn, Lady of Rohan. And taking her by the hand, Awake, he says, The shadow is gone, And all darkness is washed clean. And she comes to life. Of course, as Aragorn's identity as the king was revealed and his ability to heal the mortally wounded, so in this text, Jesus' identity as the king is revealed in his ability to clean the hopelessly defiled. You see his heart, you see his hand, finally, you see his rule. Look at the result in verse 42. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. The king expels his enemies. An enemy, once entrenched, now defeated and flees. An enemy overthrown, and the rule of God reinstated with a touch and a word. It's a preview of the resurrection. Bringing someone functionally dead, spiritually, physically, socially, back to life. Jesus, the lead climber, the man for others, the pathfinder, our living head. He goes before us into the land of the living. His body on Friday is sown in weakness, but raised in power on Sunday. His body is sown in dishonor on Friday but raised in glory on Sunday. Do you see the preview of things to come? Life returns in Jesus. You see His heart. You see His touch. You see His rule. You know, C.S. Lewis, before he was a Christian, he was a good friend with J.R. Tolkien, And he was talking to Mr. Tolkien one day, his good friend, and he said, you know, I do not understand this. Now, remember, uh, Lewis is is a literary expert. He reads stories. And he says to J.R. Tolkien, here's the thing that I don't understand. When I read stories like this, I have this deep longing inside of me, but I know it's not real. And Tolkien says to Lewis, ah, but it is real. The story that you read points to the story, and the truth of that story pulls at your heart. That's what's going on. Are you so moved? Do you wish this were true? 
You wish it were true because it is true in Jesus. And God has made you exactly for it. Who needs cleansing? We all do. Who brings cleansing? Our King, Jesus, brings cleansing. Finally, how comes cleansing? Verses 43, 44, and 45. Notice, cleansing comes in two ways. First of all, it comes very modestly. Did you notice? Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. Literally, the verb used in the Greek is often used in other contexts to describe the flare of the nostrils of a horse. It's a strong warning in two parts. On the one hand, Jesus is for keeping God's law. Go, He says, show yourself to the priest. His duty was to inspect and render a clean bill of health. Go, He says, show yourself to the priest consistent with Leviticus chapter 14. Go offer your cleansing, what Moses commanded, for a proof for them. A pair of birds, one slain in the temple, the other dipped in blood but released. A triad of lambs, a sin offering, a guilt offering, a whole offering. Jesus is for keeping God's law. But secondly, on the other hand, Jesus is against tooting His horn. He's very modest. He's unlike all of the earthly kings. Notice, the law could pronounce a person clean, but the law could not make a person clean. But Jesus could, and Jesus did, but Jesus wants to keep it a secret which is why he says, see to it that you say nothing to anyone. They call it the messianic secret. What is the messianic secret? It is to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah chapter 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout. He will not cry out. He will not raise his voice in the streets. How comes cleansing? Very modestly. Jesus knew that the people would mistake his miracles as ends in themselves. Look, see the king who works miracles. But Jesus wanted people to see his miracles were mere signs pointing beyond themselves. See the king, yes, who saves sinners and brings comfort to sufferers. See that king. So Jesus brings the kingdom, as one of my professors, Mike Imlet, puts it. He brings the kingdom like a stealth bomber. He will invade and He will destroy. 
the powers of sin and death, but He will do it in a way that is not so obvious, that does not draw attention to Himself. Do you not love, are you not so attracted to the humility of your Lord Jesus? How comes cleansing? First, it comes modestly, but second, it comes sacrificially. Verse 45, but he went out and he began to talk freely about it, that is the man, healed of his leprosy. He spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to Him from every quarter. Did you notice the reversal? If you were in a hurry, you could skate right by it and never notice. The Spirit invites us to slow down and look. The passage begins with the leper required by law to live in isolation. But the passage concludes with Jesus having to live in those same lonely, desolate places. Do you see the great exchange? Jesus trades places with the leper. Restoration for we lepers means isolation for Jesus. Consider this. Was the isolation of Jesus a consequence of this man's talking to other people? Well, at one level, I suppose we could say yes. But at a deeper level, this isolation of Jesus is all in fulfillment of the Father's plan. Isaiah the prophet, standing on tiptoe, looking down the corridors of time, can see the kingdom coming. God's promise to make the unclean clean. Ezekiel chapter 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you. I will motivate you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. My grace will go to work in you, and you will work out my grace in a new obedience. So we see that our problem is more than skin deep. It goes to the heart, and only God can resolve it. And here in the New Testament, we see God keeping His Old Testament promise, and we see what our cleansing will cost. It's a preview of the cross, this trading of places, this living in the lonely places, 
It's the ultimate reversal of fortunes. Jesus wants you tonight to know, and He speaks His truth to you in love. I will trade places with you. There's already a hint of this, as we saw, by His touching, Jesus is saying, as Sinclair Ferguson wonderfully puts it, Jesus is saying, I am prepared to become by choice what you are by nature, a man under the judgment of the law, in order to share with you what I have, freedom and life. I will become unclean and suffer death for you so that you can become clean and receive life from me. He becomes the outsider with God so that you become the insider with God. The Son of Man did not come to serve Himself, and He did not come to be served by others, but He came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the King who is willing and able to make you clean. Clean before God at the cost of His own blood. Which is why the writer to the Hebrews, as he meditates and marvels, he writes things like this. Let these words sit with you. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have to have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet, for by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. And because of Christ, 
because of His healing touch, identifying with you and me, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's thank Him now. Father, we thank You. We thank You for these five little verses. Nothing small about them, so packed with punch, with life, with promise, with mercy, with grace to help in time of need. And we are the man who needs cleansing. And you are the living Redeemer, the King, who can not only make us clean, but whose heart, whose motivation is to make us clean. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, like me, beset with many sins, discouraged by many sufferings. We've done things, we've had things done to us. We know the guilt, we know the shame, but we thank You that You have taken our place, taken it all upon Yourself. You've traded places. And we thank You. And we pray now that having received Your mercy, we might this week now go into our community and be an instrument of Your mercy. Would You continue to cleanse the leper through the human instrumentality of our kind and timely tailored words, as well as our appropriate and timely deeds. May your kingdom come through Harvest Church, and this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to worship by singing together, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please stand.
God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus, to whom belongs glory forever and ever. Amen. It is well with my soul. Let's sing this together, when peace like a river. Thank you.